0: Hey, folks, thanks for tuning in. Folks, remember I said I'd try to get rid of that habit of mine of saying folks? Yes, I do. Sorry, I really folks. We have it recorded. <laughs> hey, it's time for the pub crawl. That's when we crack open a topic or two and kind of crawl through it. Sometimes we even talk about touchy-feely stuff. And uh, the, today's actually one of those days. This week on the pub crawl... Linda Stewart, she's the founder of Toronto Death Cafe. Uh, Linda Stewart is a life cycle celebrant specializing in funerals and weddings who creates uh, and performs one-of-a-kind ceremonies for life's milestones and uh, special occasions. She's always been a uh, celebrant at heart, really, organizing celebrations, designing ceremonies and reinventing rituals for as long as she can remember. Her longtime connection with the bereaved, coupled with her passion for Celebrancy. I think last time I introduced you, I might have said celibacy. <laughs> I don't know if you have a passion for that, do you, Linda? Do you not to... really. No. Okay. All right. Let's just get into that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it all led her to found the Toronto Death Cafe, a space where people gather to discuss death in order to better understand how to make the most of their finite lives. The Death Cafe concept illuminates Linda's belief that we as humans can't come close to understanding the meaning of life if we're not willing to explore the reality of death. Linda frequently speaks to funeral professionals about the importance of personalized memorials, particularly for families who have lost children. That is the toughest thing. She also serves as the chair of the Unforgettables Fund, Toronto Chapter, an organization providing financial assistance for the costs of a dignified funeral to families caring for dying children. Her website is linda-stuart.ca. Linda-stuart.ca. S-T-U-A-R-T. Hello, Linda. Welcome back. You were just here for was it our Halloween show? Was that? Did we talk about death on our uh, Halloween
1: show? It was uh, early October. Oh, it was
0: early October. Maybe the yeah. first Saturday in October. Yeah. Um,
1: and you know when you came yes. to my death cafe, remember we had the before I die boards?
0: Yes, I and remember that. Do you remember
1: what I wrote on 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 one of on one of the boards?
0: You wanted to go on the Drew Marshall show? Yeah,
1: not thinking it would happen twice. That's so cool. Merry
0: Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> So, listen. Let's talk about you just for a little bit before we get into our topic today. What is a celebrant really? Like, how do you concisely describe what a, what a celebrant is? And obviously, we made the big joke about being celibate already. So, <laughs>
1: concisely describe. Okay. Yeah. What's a celebrant? <laughs> well, you know, I think as as people, and depending on where you live, uh, some people are moving away from organized religion. And they're finding that when it comes time to have a ceremony, whether it be a funeral, a wedding, um, that they don't have that clergy person to turn to that knows them, that knows their story, and can tell that story in the context of a ceremony. So, uh, celebrants are kind of uh, filling that filling that gap. So, I would work. I work with families, individuals, couples, depending on the ceremony that's being created. I work closely with them, get to know them, hear their stories. And incorporate those stories into into ceremonies.
0: So it seems a lot more personalized, and I think that's what everybody wants these days. I think most people are not cool with having nobody or someone they don't know officiating one of the most important uh, services or ceremonies in in their lives.
1: Absolutely, and it takes it takes a lot of time uh,
0: to get to know it's them. It's quite a
1: process. Yeah. yeah, for sure the 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 interview process, the getting to know them. I mean that. That can take a number of hours, and then I go back home, and I might have to call some neighbors and some friends to get some more information, and I'm researching, and I'm, oh. I'm you know, helping to the, – the story really comes first, and then the rest of the, the ceremony is built around the story versus trying to fit the story into something that already exists. Wow.
0: That was really well said. That actually – would you do my funeral? Um, well. Um, I'm not planning. Um, to, uh, I'll to, do
1: yours if you agree to do mine. Okay. That's good. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work.
0: How did you decide that this is really something you wanted to do?
1: Um, well, you know, when I was little, I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I thought that whole uh, – and when I was 40, I still didn't know what I – well, I wanted to be Donnie Osmond's wife, but, you know, that, <laughs> didn't, that didn't work out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at forty, I still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, and uh you know this whole idea of having a calling seemed so foreign to me i really i really felt I really kind of felt sad about that actually and uh, I was working i had jobs i had good jobs at jobs that I enjoyed that fed my family really well, but left my soul feeling a little bit hungry or peckish, as my mother would say peckish peckish so i um was working in my family business, and like yourself, I grew up in the in the funeral industry. My father owns a business that manufactures a product that we sell to funeral homes and cemeteries. So I was very, very much a part of the industry. I was visiting a funeral director one day, and we were talking about funerals and uh, why this growing trend for people to walk away from the idea of having having a ceremony and he said well you know what linda i gotta be honest there's a lot of really sad funerals and i said yeah and he goes no i mean like bad funerals and i said what do you mean bad funerals how do you have a bad funeral and he said well they're the same old same old cookie cutter uh you can kind of predict exactly you know what's going to be said and and people are deciding that there's no value in that so they're they're doing their own thing and i was really disturbed by that it really upset me and then he went on to tell me that there were celebrants that were coming on the scene and that hopefully things would change, and this was ten years ago, and I said, "What's a celebrant and uh he told me, and it was just like everything that had happened in my life up until that point, all the things I was good at, all the things that I enjoyed just seemed to fit, and yeah. I was like wow that's that's it and it was a it was a great it was a great gift
0: so how would one make a ceremony <laughs> unique because you don't want to bring the cheese to something that's so um, so sensitive, and you know, in yeah. particular, a, a funeral. Yeah. Um, you, so how do you make it unique without going over the top?
1: Right? Yeah, there's a fine line for sure. There's a fine line for sure. One of the first, one of the, actually the first funeral that I was involved in was for a woman who was involved with television and film. Her entire her entire life, and uh, worked in the industry, loved it, was passionate about it. All of her friends and family, extended family, worked at the studio. And so when she died, her son said, you know, we have to find a way to incorporate her love for film and television into this. And so we actually ended up having a a camera, like a film, you know, TV camera there that Mm -hmm. was rolling. Mm -hmm. We had a clapperboard. And it it sounds a bit like a production, but I can assure you that it was... It was totally authentic. It was totally meaningful. People got so much out of it. Um, Everyone there said, "You know, this is exactly what she would have wanted." wanted. It was touching. It was. It was. We laughed. We cried. All emotions were were felt that day. So it it was just exactly what um, what she would have wanted. Um, A wedding ceremony that I was involved in this past summer. The the bride was passionate about horses. The groom. is passionate about building and construction so instead of having a unity ritual that involves lighting a candle or blending of the sands we wanted to do something different so the groom made a frame completely made of wood and we had two horseshoes and they nailed the horseshoes into this frame to demonstrate their willingness to work together um, at with regards to whatever whatever life brings their way they're going to work together. They were a young couple so they wanted a ritual that would demonstrate to those there that we're young in years but our our love is mature enough to to hmm. handle this and it was uh, quite lovely.
0: You know, every wedding I've ever done, I when I speak anywhere, I always use some kind of a proper teaching it, because I think uh, people get bored real easy. So I've done, I've given messages from inside a zipped up sleeping bag, from the top of a 20-foot step ladder, the whole thing. Uh, I've thrown a giant brick at a uh, huge mirror. I've set a painting on fire. (laughs) I've just done so much ridiculous stuff. And and one wedding I did, I had a sword uh, with me, which has an awkward W in the middle of that word. And uh, it was a a five-and-a-half-foot Claymore sword. And as I was – I can't remember what the analogy was, but I was swinging the sword around. And afterwards, the guy who was doing the video came up to me and went – uh, sir, you, you, sir. I love it when they come here. Sir. sir, you mean when I look at the video uh, later? So <laughs> why? What, well, you, when you're swinging the sword, you clipped the bridesmaid's flowers. <laughs> That's how close uh, I came uh, to uh, wrecking uh. that wedding. So
1: I'll be sure to call you when I'm looking for some creative yeah, ideas. <laughs> yeah.
0: So ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think people are getting away from ceremony or leaning into it? Does ceremony really matter?
1: I think the word ceremony freaks people out because initially they you know they hear it and you think, oh, stuffy, traditional, I'm going to have an anxiety attack. It's not going to be, you know, something I relate to, uh, but it doesn't need to be like that. And right. I think that ceremony is so important, uh, especially now. I mean, we're in this... Disconnectedly connected society. I mean, we're hyper connected. When I was a kid, I maybe had five, six, seven friends. I wasn't that popular. I was pretty shy. <laughs> Today, it's not uncommon for kids to have you know 500 to a thousand Facebook friends. We're connected with people that are that live on the other side of the globe at sometimes the expense of the people that live under our roof. And uh, so, I think ceremony brings human beings back together again. And nothing can replace looking in someone's eyes, touching someone's hand, giving them a real hug, not a virtual hug. And and I think that's why, um, why ceremony today is, is more important than ever.
0: As you said that, the weebs just touched each other. Aww. I mean, held onto They're each other's
1: so hands. They're so cute. They are
0: so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I just read an article today. My son sent me this uh, um, the, uh, the some scientific study has now said that uh, each human – what do you mean? Why are you shaking your head at me?
2: It's Is this the one about sleeping in separate beds? No.
0: Because that's wrong. It's about hugs. Each human wow. being needs uh, to thrive eight hugs a day. Really? Wow. Eight hugs a day. Wow. Six to maintain some sort of status of sanity. How, eight to thrive.
1: And how many hugs have you had today? Um. So let's talk about your
0: favorite <laughs> Christmas story. <laughs> because when's your birthday Linda Stewart My birthday. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and speaking of birthdays, happy birthday to you. Thank you. And I hope yeah. that you get a lot done in the next year because um,
0: Because that's my last year of no, my 40s. No, no, you know what? There's Thanks. I think
1: I think people have this I want to do this before I 50 I'm 50 kind of list. Right. And I know because I had one of those lists and I have 19 days left, left to go before you turn 50. <laughs> so don't procrastinate because you don't have much time. When's your birthday? <laughs> December 24th.
0: Do you have a, a favorite Christmas story? Because if anybody gets to speak into Christmas, it's you. And if anybody gets to speak into our, our subject today, which is obviously why you're here, uh, you know, how, how sometimes the darkness of Christmas can kind of take over for people. It's yeah. you. You get to speak into this. Okay. So let's talk about, before we get into the darkness, okay. <laughs> your favorite Christmas story.
1: Okay, my favorite Christmas story. Um, I was about eight years old, and all I wanted for Christmas was a real gold ring with a blue birthstone in it, because I'm December and uh, up until that point i had plastic rings with pictures of donnie osmond in them and all that stuff but i and the rings that they turn had a my finger stone in them? Fe- yeah love purple and things that turn my uh, my skin green so all i wanted was was a real gold ring and uh, my father asked me what do you want for christmas and i told him and he said you know linda that's a really that's a really precious Precious gift, and um, it takes a lot of responsibility to handle real gold jewelry. I mean, it's precious. So I think you're just a little bit young this year. So why don't we? Why don't we just put that off for a year or two? <laughs> so we went to the mall one night to shop for my mom, uh, and uh, of course we went into the Burks store. Remember Burks, the jewelry store that? Yes, I did. I yeah. well totally remember Burke's in the in the seventies. Yep. Went into Burks and of course I made a beeline for the little girls' rings. And uh, my dad came over again and said, "Linda, no, it's a little too precious for you." So Christmas morning came and I opened all my presents and we were getting ready to have breakfast. And my father came up from the basement holding this big box and said, Linda, there's one more for you. And I opened the big box and inside was a smaller box and a smaller box until we got to that iconic blue velvet Burke's box. Tearing up. Yeah. And inside, of course, was my golden ring. And how did you the react? First I was elated, and I jumped up on his lap and I covered his face with kisses and gave him the tightest hug that I could. And when I pulled back and looked at him, I saw something, I saw something in his eyes that I had never seen before. And uh, I watched that little tear trickle down his face before he wiped it away. <laughs> and I knew at that at that moment, well, I was kind of confused because you don't understand happy tears when you're little.
2: Hmm.
1: And I. Uh, I was a little confused, but I remember thinking something really special just happened. And of course, um, you know, he, he let me see him. He let me see him really. I think for the first, first time. First time. And I'll never forget that. And you know, as, of course of the as the years have gone by, I've I've come to realize that you know the real the real precious gift was not the ring that year. And um, that's that's I've always it's tried like a to – country
0: song <laughs> that Dolly Parton. <laughs> It's not. It wasn't the ring. It was the tear. Should have
1: married Donnie Osmond. We could have made beautiful could have, music. Could have yet. made beautiful
0: music. <laughs> Man. Well, listen, folks. We are uh, in the middle of uh, the pub crawl. Just wanted to give you a little bit of an introduction as to who Linda Stewart is. She's the founder of Toronto Death Cafe. Her website is linda-stewart.ca, and uh, she is a life cycle celebrant. So uh, check her out online. Uh, But let's invite the weebs in at this particular moment as well to this conversation because um, I know that these guys are authentic and pretty nice people. And I wanted to process something that I have a, uh, a problem with myself. Why does Christmas drive some people into depression? And is it possible to choose your way out of it? What are some tricks to help keep the darkness away? Shane, uh, tell us about the first Christmas that you had after your dad died. And how old were you when your dad died?
3: I was 18. I was 18 when dad passed away. So that sucks. Yeah, it totally does. I Now, that said, he was the best dad in the world. So there wasn't... Like, 18 such a romantic age to have your dad die, I think. Mm. Like, I was, he was this amazing man. He was vulnerable, yet strong. It's like he just really, he had that he had that going on. So I, I felt like there was a completion there, so I don't, I, but I don't the feel first robbed.
0: No, but the first Christmas afterwards and the first must Christmas not after have been cool.
3: We How ran away. Handle- we oh, ran away. Yeah, we, uh, Mom took some of the, uh, can I say this on the radio? Sorry, Mom, if, you're, if I'm not allowed to talk about this. Uh, she took some of the life insurance money and we uh we then there wasn't a massive amount of it, so this was a sacrifice for her um and we all went to Disneyland for the first time ever cool. the whole family so my my two sisters, one of them was married, so he came along um as well as uh their their son and and mom and it was it was kind of messy, I mean you're grieving and all that, but it was this iconic memory where we can all be hey, remember that crazy time we went to Went to Los Angeles to escape having to deal with Christmas without dad.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. When, she, when Linda was telling her story about her dad and the tear running down her dad's face at Christmas, you teared up. Why?
3: <laughs> oh, because I'm a... I'm a crier from a long line of criers. <laughs> My dad, I, so I have this, this memory of dad, of dad like laughing. We were watching some movie and he laughed and laughed. It was funny, it was a comedy and then he just seamlessly transitioned into kind of like this crying thing and I remember this was shortly before he died actually. And I remember like being like dad, you're so embarrassing like to, is there and he's and he says, "Oh, son, you know, I always have these like anecdotes, right? Son," he says, "as you get older, you'll find the line between laughter and tears blends together more and more." And, and and man, I find that like there's this there's this marriage of, of emotions and, and I don't know, I that's a beautiful story. Like, thanks for sharing that. Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, um, I you
0: know, look, I grew up in the funeral business, as many people uh, would know, and uh, also am currently serving as a hospital chaplain. And uh, to me, I can only speak to this anecdote anecdotally, but. It seems like a lot of people die in December, because mm-hmm. I never, I cannot remember a December or especially around Christmas where Dad wasn't busy. Mm-hmm. There was always something going on in the funeral home, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and having stood by or sat by the bed of many who have breathed their last—not many, but a number of people who have breathed their last breath. Um, i it, it just gets me thinking about the the Christmas funk, and sometimes you know Linda, you and I talked this week about my Christmas funk, and you said quite directly, well wh- where does that come from what 's that all about? And I think one of the things is I remember the magic when I was a kid, and i and i 'm bugged that i can't i can 't get that back i 'm mm-hmm. bugged that i can 't enjoy the specialness of whatever that was anymore. And I don't think it's just the fact that, ooh, you're grown up and, you know, you, the, the fantasy, the bubble has popped. I think it's because I I feel guilty about locking into something so awesome when so many people are in such a funk, whether it's the the state of the world or whether it's the – the welfare apartment down the street from me. And I know, I know there's nasty stuff going on in that place and people are hurting other people and, and people can't afford to do things for their kids. And so they're in a funk and, and I want to help everyone, but I can't. So I shut down Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm frustrated and bugged about that whole thing. Um, and then, sorry, go ahead.
1: Um, just something to think about The, the funk that the funk that you're in you know, you've you've decide you decide every year that you're going into this funk, right? Pretty much, it sounds like that. You know,
0: I am way less funky than I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean by that is, I have decided to not let the funk run my show, okay, near as much as it has.
1: Good, because you could you could potentially be preventing a golden ring moment <laughs> with somebody, okay? Mm. You know. I, I, that, you know, that, that, that memory for me carries me and that memory for me, every, every Christmas I try to think of, okay, what can I do? Can I, for somebody or, or, you know, like one year I crocheted scars for everybody in my family and they were all <laughs> hideous <laughs> they, were,
2: I could do they
1: that. were absolutely hideous but i was so excited christmas morning because i wanted to give them this thing that i had made yeah and, and you know maybe just you know maybe having tunnel vision is okay at christmas time and just focusing on the people that you can help because you being miserable isn't isn't healing Dude, someone's broken heart
0: i cannot have tunnel vision <laughs> i'm way too add to have tunnel vision i can't do that and uh, let me just say I have a friend who just found out. Just went to a funeral on uh, this week for uh, someone that they they knew who who killed himself.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Father of four kids in a marriage that apparently wasn't awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know the details, nor do I care to know the details. I just I just think there it is again. December, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. darkness, mm-hmm. death, suicide. I remember. Walking with my father—it was my father or somebody from the funeral home, i can't remember—but on Christmas Eve with a stretcher, going into a house to pick up a body of someone who had killed themself, mm. themselves themselves, uh, and and that was more than once mm-hmm. in December around Christmas. So Christmas can be a really tough time for those mm-hmm. for, for, for lots of people, but but for those who have lost loved ones around, especially around Christmas. But if you, it's the first Christmas without dad or without mom or without whoever. So not everyone has a jolly time this month. So let's talk about how grievers can celebrate Christmas when celebrating makes them feel guilty. Um, anyone?
1: <laughs> Shane, can I ask you, did, did celebrating Christmas make you feel guilty after your dad oh, died? Oh, good
0: question.
3: A laughter did, which was interesting. Laughter. Um, and yet, you know, yeah, it was... I don't know why. I just it, I remember laughing on on Christmas, and the, and, and it, your emotions seem to get so tight. There's there's nothing that really differentiates them, and you don't know when you're tr- when you're passing from one emotion to the next, and and you're surprised by the guilt, and it sneaks up on you, and you're like, why would I feel guilt? Like, yeah. I was logical enough to know it would be absolutely stupid for me to feel guilty for having a wonderful time
1: because he would want that. Because he
3: would want that. Yeah. He was the first guy to be laughing and crying and laughing and crying. You know, like. <laughs> Uh, he he was so engaged with life and so the thought of not engaging with life to somehow preserve his memory was you know highly illogical Mm -hmm. and yet it was still there it was still this little Mm -hmm. this little creeping in sort of thing and i wouldn't say i struggle with it now as far as feeling guilty for having a good time but i do the the reality that i'm missing out at christmas remains Mm -hmm. like that's that's still there so there's I'm still very much engaged and I let myself feel that it sucks that he's not there for Christmas and I have a hundred amazing Christmas memories with him that remind me of just how awesome Christmas dad is you know but can
0: we just choose to get out of the funk Angela you know you're pretty you're pretty practical and yet you're also very emotive as well you have this interesting combination can we just choose to get out of the funk pull up our bootstraps emotionally over Christmas?
2: But that's a big question. Um, I think you have, you certainly have some control over that. Because even going to the same places that you've gone to with, say, Shane with your dad, and you're choosing to think about the fond memories and choosing to move forward and make memories with your own kids and with me, I didn't know Shane's dad. So the only memories I have are through him. And I think sharing those memories really helps too, right? Mm -hmm. Having events and talking about the, those loved ones that aren't with you.
0: Do you have any uh, – does anybody have any se- – and Tim, because Tim – we've got to bring Tim in this conversation as well, because Tim has been you know, quite open on this show about his struggles uh, with clinical depression over uh, many, many years. Um, What are what are some secrets to keeping the darkness away, man? Like uh, wearing sweaters like yeah, that? exactly. <laughs> Just you know, to
4: brighten up my life. No, I think that um, we do a disservice. There's a dangerous line that we could potentially cross here that if you're not – uh, clinical depression is not something you can necessarily control. Right. And I think there's a date. I mean, there's a lot of different factors. There's, there's uh, environment like stress. Christmas is stressful. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, there's also SAD, seasonal affective disorder, that affects mm-hmm. it with with lack of light, darkness. Or, now, the longest night, you know, of the year is December twenty first. Right, right. So I think there is there's a disservice to think that you know if you can't get out of the funk, then then you're not strong enough. You know, you're, you're spoiling Christmas for everybody, and that that, that just doesn't help.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: But um, you know, I think there's definitely some practical things. You know, and as as suffering from depression, I've had to choose moments to just smile and move forward. Um, Wait, I've seen that smile before. Yes, usually when you're talking. And um, yeah, so I, I think there's, it's, it's a fine line that we're talking about here. I think for someone who suffers from depression, you know, I used to before I was diagnosed, like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be happy at this particular time? And what, you know, and, and I felt guilty about it. And then I get to the point where, you know, I, I can't, you know, accept myself. And so once I understood what was wrong with me, I was able to sort of go, okay. All right, I'm. This isn't just me. It's not something I can control. I mean, there's levels that happen, and you know, be comfortable in the fact that I am. Right. Comfort in my discomfort, I guess, is part of what I've come to deal with.
0: Okay, I want each of us because we're running out of time here. But each of us to chirp in or chip in, depending what your attitude is. Um, on what are things that pull you out of a funk? For me, it's music. M- uh, always. Music mm. always changes me somehow. Yeah. Always, it's weird. Um, it's not weird. Also, getting out, uh, getting out into uh, into the middle of nowhere by myself with my dog or my horse or something like that is a very important thing for me. Uh, Linda, how about you? You can't say wine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wine and chocolate. That's the answer. Uh, <laughs> What gets me out of a funk? I I uh I'm I don't I have to say I don't I don't I don't get in funks very often, but uh, um, probably just time alone. Um, there's a few books that I that I enjoy that I'll turn to that that can help me writing. You some, writing doing something yeah writing doing something creative. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. And. Well, the first thing that came to my mind was. Um,
0: can't say sex. I was
2: going to say physical touch, but I, it's actually one one of mine for sure is physical touch. Yeah. Like that hug thing. Yeah. And that could be from my kids too, right? That's really important right. to connect that way with your children. Um, music is a big one mm-hmm. and getting outside. And I think a lot of people, especially those attached to their screens, don't realize how much they're attached to their screens. They just yeah. need to get fresh air. It changes everything. Yeah. So. Yeah.
3: Shane? Uh, sometimes you got to follow the funk through. That's what I think. I think we we live on this 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 threshold of being oh I'm going down to the funk and somehow we're like supposed to be happy lappy jumpy Christmas or whatever. I Did think, you say lobby? I don't know what I said. I was rhyming like crazy. But no, follow the funk through. Go down through the rest of the valley and smell what the cedars are like down there. I don't know. Yeah. And have some somebody to journey. If we don't live in a society where people can journey with us in the crap and sucky stuff too. Yeah. I mean, that's where Jesus is walking with us, right? He's walking with us right through that junk. And, uh, and then who knows? Maybe you'll find a, a better way up the other side onto a whole new better mountain, but... But yeah, like Dude, sometimes I was, just have to walk through the That funk. was
0: amazing. That was what was amazing? What you just said, the stuff that comes out of your yap is it so It tickles good. us. Yeah, it tickles <laughs> Tim. us. Tim, how about you? Uh
4: yeah, I think, you know, you quote Winston <laughs> Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going. Right. Um but definitely, you know, music and I think, you know, accepting that it's it's okay. Yeah, sometimes. Man. You know, it's all right.
0: Well, hmm. We could have spent a lot more time on that, eh? Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Thank you for all of you for joining in that conversation. Cause it, it weighs on me every year. Mm-hmm. It's really, really heavy every year. So I appreciate your input. Each and every one of you. Isn't that a tiny Tim thing? Probably. Isn't that a ukulele thing? God singer? bless us everyone. <laughs> Thank you. I said Tiny Tim. Oh, sorry. God bless us everyone.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: You'll be too